RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Kiwi Julie Webb Pullman worked in Gaza as a journalist since 2011 and then as a war crime investigator from 2014. She has a master's in public health and a diploma of investigations. She spent five years leading and training lawyers, police and health workers in evidence collection in Gaza. Her work involved obtaining and preserving evidence. Her team has submitted over 3,000 victim complaints to the International Criminal Court, the ICC, in The Hague since 2015. Julie's work on war crimes in Gaza has been published in The Lancet and presented at international conferences. Last Thursday, Julie, along with 116 NGOs and 295 lawyers from 20 countries, submitted a claim of genocide to the ICC regarding the current events in Gaza. Julie, welcome to Reality Check Radio all the way from Paris. Thanks for giving us some time. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, big picture first. It's not good, right? <laughs> no, it's absolutely appallingly um, catastrophic. Yeah. Just um, even in the last overnight, there's been hundreds more killed in Khan Yunus. Two families had their house destroyed, leaving at least 13 dead. Another 30 were killed in the Jabalia refugee camp. So even refugees are being killed and many more in the Jaru house in Deir al-Bala. As well as the hospital, the main hospital, Al-Shifa hospital, being on the brink of total collapse. Um, and Al-Quds Hospital and Al-Akhli Hospital, both being under attack. Um, Al-Akhli Hospital was bombed a few weeks ago and many people were killed and now it is being attacked with white phosphorus bombs, which are actually a prohibited weapon. So Israel is going all out, it seems. And from yes, your description well, all there. out. It's called genocide. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, is it is that the word that's applicable? Yes, absolutely. Um, genocide is basically, um, I'll, I'll just find a quick, a quick um, description yeah. straight from the, um, from the mouth of the lawyers, um, yeah. is murder of members of a group, serious damage to the physical or mental integrity of members of a group, international submission of the group to conditions of existence that must lead to its total or partial physical destruction. And the other thing, so that all of those things are happening right now, but a matter that is always um, has to be addressed is the that genocidal action is actually incompatible with legitimate defence. So you cannot have Israel claiming that they're committing genocide as an act of self-defence. It absolutely cannot. Self-defence, one, an occupying power cannot claim self-defence because they are the aggressor, they are the yeah. occupier. And secondly, um, the rules of distinction and proportionality in international law state that um, it, they cannot include reprisals or punitive measures as, as self-defence. So 
the whole justification for for the Israeli actions are totally wrong. They they cannot have reprisals, and they have stated repeatedly that that is what they're doing. These are they will punish. They will um, destroy Gaza. These are the the actual prime minister and members of parliament all making these statements. Do you think this is those that you've just spoken of or Israel Israel as a community, a country, a, a state um, in total? Is this uh, political military people doing something that the population approves of? Well, unfortunately, it seems to be because um, there have been some polls taken which show that a very large proportion of Israeli society approves of this military um, act of genocide and, in fact, endorses and calls for it. You will see on social media there are many um, clips of people singing at weddings, laughing about um, the the killing of Gazans um, and calling on their their government to continue it. But at the same time, there are also many Israelis, including uh, rabbis, who are extremely opposed to the, the Israeli government actions. And there are many Jews around the world also extremely opposed to what the Israeli government is doing in in Gaza and in the West Bank. It's not just Gaza. Um, So, yes, there are many Jews and many Israelis who do not agree with what is happening. And and, uh, particularly families of the hostages, they've been um, protesting outside Netanyahu's house for weeks, demanding that um, they release Palestinian prisoners in, re- in exchange for their family members being held hostage. But so far, the Israeli government has refused to do so. The kickoff point to all of this, well, the most recent one anyway, October 7th, Hamas fighters, if we're to believe what we've seen, I think we all have to have that filter kind of hovering around, but if we're to believe what we have seen and what has been reported um, Hamas fighters must have known, or the Hamas organization must have known, that to go in to do that kind of raid is going to provoke an, a shock and awe response, right? Um, well, this, there's two issues here. One, that the ha- Hamas is a movement. It's like saying the Labour Party or the National Party or ACT. It's not just, you know, it's a political movement. And the acts of one or two or even a group of soldiers in the New Zealand Army or, for instance, the Australian Army, um, do not get the 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 political power party does not get held responsible for those acts for instance in in australia at the moment we have an australian a few, a few australian soldiers being investigated for war crimes in afghanistan now both the the liberal party in australia and the labor party in australia were in power while that soldier was committing those 
at those war crimes between 2005 and 2011. Now, nobody has called for the for the Liberal Party or the Labour Party of Australia to be called them terrorists or called them any other names and called for their, um, you know, banishment and suggested that they should, that the Afghans should therefore um, eradicate the Liberal Party and the Labour Party in Australia because their soldiers committed some war crimes. It is really quite ridiculous. Yeah, but... That's the first point. The second point is, is that, okay, there was... A, a an attack took place. Now, one point is that it is it is they didn't invade Israel. They actually went. You could say they went home to their occupied territory. It's a very different thing to going through the border, crossing the borders of another state, and being in your own country. Now, Israel is occupying Palestine. It is not Israel. It is Palestine. Those soldiers, the Hamas uh, military, went to Palestine, not to Israel. Another point is that the claims that have been made about October the 7th, even the Israelis themselves, uh, yesterday or the day before, downgraded the number of su- supposed fatalities from 1,400 to 1,200. I saw that, yeah. Yes, and if you look at who those fatalities are, Haaretz, and this is official Israeli sources, uh, uh, probably at least a half of those names are soldiers. They were military people that were killed. They were not civilians. They were military, legitimate military targets. Another point is that many of the hostages, as well as the people that were in the kibbutzes and other places at the time where those raids took place, people who were at the music festival, reported to the Israeli media that they they that many of those people were killed the israelis were killed by their own israeli military and police they were killed in israeli crossfire so they were not killed by hamas they were killed by israelis many of them were killed by israeli fire not by hamas fire so it's very important that these Facts, the actual evidence is what is considered by the international court, not what Israel, Israeli propaganda puts out in the media. Which has been so effective because people have, you know, they've they've, um, uh, reacted to that almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, there was that uh, image of the burnt out cars at the music festival and um, a bunch of guys on paragliders probably weren't able to do that, but... An attack helicopter could have. So obviously, you know, there's there's more to it. But I get back to the point that that um, those fighters, even if they were a little branch of the whole organisation, um, they knew that this would this would probably result in what's happened or something like it, and that many of their countrymen, what do you call them, Gazans, fellow Gazans, would be killed. Palestinians killed and maimed and and the whole thing blown up like it's being at the moment. But that might have been what they wanted to happen. 
Well, I guess no, you, would you say the same thing to Nelson Mandela about their fight against the ANC fight against apartheid? I'm not making a judgment on it. I'm just trying to, you know, no, trying to well, hover I mean, above what, it and work yeah. out why people would do particular things when they probably knew the consequences and, and try and, and sort of work through, you know, yes. kind of what, what the dynamics, what was going on there, you know. Well, I guess freedom fighters always their their goal is freedom. And as with Nelson Mandela and the ANC, Nelson Mandela spent thirty years in jail as a terrorist, yeah. um, fighting for the end of apartheid in South Africa. Now Palestinians are fighting for the end of apartheid in Palestine. Um, and, of course, people are going to die just as many thousands died in South Africa, as many thousands die in every freedom struggle. Um, but Palestinians are all prepared to pay that price because they've had 75 years of trying through every other means, and they have failed. They have failed miserably. And, in fact, when you look at it, Hamas achieved in a week what no international organisation, the UN or anybody else, has achieved in 75 years. The settlements are empty. The settlers have fled. Now, I think this is a very important point because it shows that the settlers can leave and that the, and what should happen when this is all over, the international community, with all of their protestations that settlements are illegal, the UN has made so many resolutions about this, um, and including New Zealand's, the, la the last resolution that was proposed by the New Zealand national government in 2016, which was passed because Obama did not veto it. And that was that the settlements are illegal and they should not be expanded, they must be dismantled. Now, here we have, the, the settlers have gone. So now the international community has the opportunity to ensure that they do not return, that those settlements remain empty, that, that all of those occupied land is given back to Palestine now. It's empty now. Goodbye, settlers. You've gone to wherever it was that you wanted to go to. Israel has shown that they can put them up in other places. They're living in luxury resorts now in Israeli territory. Go back behind the 1967 lines. That, very, that is exactly what needs to happen. And the ones who don't want to stay in Israel go back to where they, they to the countries that they were born in. You know, these all have dual citizenship. The settlers come, they're paid to come to Palestine and steal land and steal homes. They can just go back to where they were. If the United States, look how many billions the United States gives Israel every year for military defence of, of Israel. Imagine if they just instead spent that money on housing those people in the United States, in France, in Europe, where they came from. Yeah, the industrial you military complex doesn't doesn't make money out of that, unfortunately. Um, that's probably why yes, they don't well, do that. The, um, the, the other thing is, and it's interesting to note, and I don't think too many people are aware at the moment, that many of the top politicians, particularly in the State Department, but in that uh, administration and the vital organs of state that surround it, have dual citizenship. They are American-Israeli dual citizens. So 
<laughs> you probably can't rely on the United States, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Because there's Absolutely. such a glaring conflict of interest. Who do you back? Whose side are you on? Well, it is a conflict of interest because those um, people are not acting in the United States' national interest, but they're acting in Israel's national interest. Including the Secretary of State himself. Yes, it's absolutely horrifying. But one other hopeful sign is the number of State Department employees who have resigned in disgust at this, what has been happening over the last month, six weeks. Um, you know, not everybody is, is happy with it and they are leaving. And even in Australia, senators walked out of the Senate a, a couple of days ago Um in, in protest. Um, it, it's really quite horrifying that New Zealand, like both the outgoing Labour government and the incoming national government, have not called for a ceasefire. It's absolutely appalling. New Zealand had a really good reputation for human rights, and they've just squandered it by following the US line on this. Um, it's, it's really, really a stain on New Zealand. There's probably a lot more going on behind the scenes than we realise there, I would imagine. Do you think it's the intention of then Netanyahu, his government, good proportion of the population, to literally wipe out the people of Gaza? Like wipe them out, take them out? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Um, They failed. They had their plan to expel them to the Sinai, which is, again, forced displacement, gross breach of international law and constitutes genocide. But that failed. They tried to push them to the Sinai. Egypt refused to take them. So what are they going to do? They're just wiping them out. Absolutely. And that has been, they that was a policy to forcefully displace them to the Sinai, that those papers were leaked from the Israeli cabinet and there's absolutely no doubt that th- this is a forced displacement. They cannot do it by um, fair means into the Sinai, so they'll do it by foul, which is just complete and murdering every man, woman and child left standing. They've defined every Palestinian as a terrorist, everyone in Gaza as a terrorist and and as being a legitimate target. Um, I want to ask what you think about, um, well, two things, a possible wider regional conflict or war um, scaling up out of this, but also um, exactly what uh, the case to the International Court of Justice is all about. But you've, as I described at the start, you've lived in Gaza. I've seen movies about it. I haven't been there myself. It looks like a very dense place. A lot of people crammed into a very small area. Can you describe what it must be like at the moment? Well, it's would it's would be abs- it's terrifying. It's terrifying um, because everyone is crushed. What happens when there is an offensive like this is that people rush, go and all collect together. Families will all gather in one house. Um, you generally have a 
because they don't have shelters in Gaza, so people just collect in a room as far away from the windows as possible. So you And the awful thing about this is that so many houses have been destroyed that there are less and less space. There was already no space, but now you have people like, you know, 50 people in a, in a room, um, a very small room, because there's there's nowhere else. Everything's been bombed. Everything's been obliterated. Um, I have a friend yesterday who's been, who I just was on um, Messenger with almost constantly, because they where she was is surrounded with tanks, and they were, she was terrified they were going to die, and and that if the fear is absolutely enormous, but the other thing is that people, because they are Muslim, most people in Gaza are practicing Muslims. Um, as there are, there's a Christian community as well, but a lot of them were killed when they bombed the uh, Orthodox Church. Um, but they they do have a very strong belief in God, and that what happens to them is um, that they will go to heaven. They hope that they will go to heaven. So although, and that it is God's will, that what happens is God's will. So in a way, there's a, an enormous resilience through their faith. Um, right. yeah. And that that is probably the single most important thing that keeps them going. Um, and that no matter what horrifying things happen their children i mean you will have seen on social media where people carrying their child and seen saying my so child many, has yep, so you know, gone to god they do not um they they they're despairing and sad and um horrified but they are also still very firm in their faith um right. so it Although it's terrifying, it is also kind of an affirmation. It's a strange um, paradox, but yeah. that's how it is, yeah. Um, so is this a religious war or a no, religious conflict, religious one religion war. you know, going at the other? It's not? No, not at all, because um, Jews were living. There's, there were many Jews in Gaza and in Palestine, and they lived alongside the Arabs and the Muslims and the Christians mm. happily. I mean, until the establishment of the state of Israel, they, none of these were problems. They 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 were married to each other. You know, they. I mean, they were they were neighbours. They there was nothing. There were no problems. Um, it's not a religious war at all. That is a complete fabrication um, and invention by people who want to make it about religion. But it is not about religion. It is about human rights and law. It is about the equality of everyone under law and it is about the equality of um, just the, the observation of international law. Israel had its boundaries, 1967, it, it, it exceeded them. You know, even Hamas has accepted the 19 and their, um, their new thing in 2017 they they updated their um uh what's it called you know <laughs> founding document and right. um to accept the 1967 borders now 
that, that that is just ignored by all the media and and Israel particularly because they don't that doesn't suit their their um, propaganda. But in fact, the 1967 line, the green line, is where Israel should be. But Israel will not accept that border. Now, another point about why what is really behind it. Personally, I think that Netanyahu, as you know, is facing criminal charges. And the only way he can avoid those is by being prime minister. Yeah, but you'd so have to be why- the devil you'd have to be the devil to be willing to have that many killed, including little kids, um, and terrified to get you Your off the words. <laughs> Your words. Well, not but, mine. You'd, but you'd have to be. I mean, that is just so uh, I mean, it's mind blowing. Well, I know people do that, but it's mind blowing that that someone would do would do all that just to get themselves off the hook of something. Well, you'd have to ask Netanyahu. I know, but but I mean, it seems that, like Pol Pot. Pol Pot is the you know is probably the nearest comparison. Um, but because he's Netanyahu's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed European guy instead of a yellow or brown or black person, you know, people are hor- horrified at the notion or think it can't be. But actually, yes, it can. Well, Pol Pot, know. at least I think he thought he was trying to, um, you know, correct uh, culture and um, and uh, human society back to a um, a more fundamental level rather than trying to get himself off or out of a difficult uh, legal or constitutionally legal whatever situation he might find himself in. Yeah, I think probably Tony Blair's um, assessment of Netanyahu is probably the most accurate, the armor-plated oh, bullshitter. Say again? The armor-plated bullshitter. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so the potential for this to spread as a conflict and and – and sort of scale up big time because we're talking about nations like Turkey and Iran and um, Jordan and Egypt with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. They get angry. It's not good. Um, how do you see that playing out? Or, or will someone have to circuit break it? And if they do, what will it be? The two-state solution coming into play, which is being talked about now. Well, this. Two-state solution is dead in the water. I don't. Oh, okay. I think we're yeah. way past the t- any kind of two-state solution. Yeah. Um, there has, a, you know, a one democratic state with equal rights for everybody, as it was pre nineteen forty eight. It's probably going to be the only realistic future for, um, f- for you know, future. Um, as far as a regional conflict goes, um, already Lebanon and Iraq and Yemen are involved. Um, yeah, they are. I should have mentioned it. So, yeah, but for all the bluff and bluster from people like Erdogan and Turkey and Iran and, you know, and Egypt, you know, we won't take them, um, none of them have actually done anything Um because they're too busy looking after their own interests. I think there's so much self-interest that the, the when you look at the Organisation of Islamic States who met just last weekend, um, there hasn't been a, a statement come out of that that is unified. The, there was all the countries except four were 
condemning the genocide and condemning the Israeli and demanding a ceasefire, except for four, which remained unnamed, but of course we know who they are, Egypt, mm. Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and, and UAE. Yeah, uh, because um, they're what, too plugged into the West, are they? Well, no, they've done deals. Uh, there's, uh, it's surprising that Egypt, um, I think possibly Egypt abstained, but there's this project for a um, a canal, the Ben Gurion Canal. Been to go hearing about through. that, yeah, as a competitor to the Suez Canal. Yes, yes, and so that goes through Jordan, and the people that are going to make all the money out of that, of course, Saudi Arabia needs the weapons from the US, the United Arab Emirates need weapons and, and money and whatever support from the US. They've got a lot of economic deals going. Um, and Jordan will make a packet out of this new canal. Well, so, so everyone's you know, got uh, <laughs> their own little yeah. interest, corner of interest in this, which is... Uh... Yes, and Turkey, Turkey wow. has the most the most amount of trade historically that it has ever had with with Israel. So you know, Turkey's even after the Mavi Marmara, which was a Turkish ship, um, humanitarian aid ship, and all yeah, these citizens attack. were killed yeah. on it. And yeah. to, for Erdogan said, "We will never normalize relationships with Israel until the siege of Gaza is lifted." And we and on 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 and on. And then suddenly, twenty million dollars bought him off. You know, and there he was back there, renewed all his relations with with Israel, and has actually been not a very big player. I think he's setting himself up to be a mediator. In the in after all of this is over, but you know you would trust him at your peril after what he did. To, he threw the Mavi Marmara people under the bus and just hitched up and threw Gaza under the bus after insisting that the lifting of the siege was a red line and then he did not follow through. So Erdogan can't be trusted to do anything except follow his own interests, whichever they might be, and they change by the week. Um, he's another person trying to stay in power. Well, wow, it's complicated. So the case that you've taken to the criminal court in The Hague last week, 116 NGOs, 295 lawyers, Complaint of genocide is what you're submitting. So, um, I mean, we can't go through every single one because there's a few of them, and uh, obviously there'll be some high-profile NGOs and lawyers amongst them. But essentially, what do you have to do to bring a case like this to the criminal court? There must be a um, a sizable amount of work required to do this. Yes. Well, um, for for the actual complaint, it's it's relatively um small because all you have to do is identify the the law, the legal um basis for the complaint and to argue it and so that's where you use the text of the court the articles of the Rome statute um and present the evidence of some of some of the evidence of what has occurred, but because the ICC has already opened a full investigation into the Palestine issue, okay. um, the the ICC itself does the investigation. So what this um, 
complaint is doing is identifying the points that they that we feel are um, important and that prove that genocide has been committed and it's and the court itself their investigators will collect will assess the evidence so we produce evidence um and there's a mountain of that but also the icc itself must collect the evidence and we submit evidence we submit victim complaints um and then the icc investigation assesses all the evidence that people lawyers um groups ngos human rights groups groups such as ourselves submit to them plus all the uh, the evidence that they collect and all the evidence that of course is submitted by Israel in its defense um you know they will also be having their arguments but these things ultimately is decided by the court not by i mean israel runs around in the media saying that it's not against international law it's, it's you know you, we're allowed to attack a hospital because hamas is there that is not for israel military to decide that is not you know whether that's legal it is for the international criminal court to decide whether those actions are legal and it's not for the media to decide whether it's legal or for me or or the lawyers it's for us to produce what we consider evidence that these that illegal activities have taken place and then the court makes the decision and israel will have its time in court to defend itself as any defendant does um but it's for the court to decide not for the israeli military or the israeli propaganda machine to decide whether more crimes have been committed and to justify themselves on you know saying that there's hamas in the basement of the hospital or whatever yeah that's um, that they they use that one quite a bit i've noticed um yes well i mean so there have been several um things going around of the um anagram of Israel serial liars <laughs> and um one of the points that's made in our um submission in the submission that was um went last week is the institutionalization of lies and i can just give you three very simple examples of that the murder of abu thuraya in 2017 an amputee a guy who had a double amputee in a wheelchair at the border in the march of return and he was shot in the head by israelis snipers and they said the israelis accused us of uh, 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 the Pal- they made the accusation that he was killed by a palestinian bullet not by israel and they tried to say that so this resulted in our organization at the time going and getting permission from the um family and exhuming the body and r- removing the bullet and proving that it was not a Palestinian bullet it was indeed yeah. an Israeli bullet wow. another <laughs> example of the destruction of the Gaza media towers in 2021 six successive versions by the Israelis were counted to explain the shooting they ch- they said one then they said another then they said another they just make up a different story every time one is proven to be wrong they'll just make up another one and then of course we had the 
journalist Shireen Abu Akleh in 2022, shot by the Israeli army. The Israeli army again said it was a Palestinian shot before having to recognise after the ballistic um, analysis that it was an Israeli shot. And that was not Israeli ballistic expertise, but expertise from all over the world. So, you know, they just lie, lie, lie. So is there any hope here? Just to finish our chat, oh, two things. How long does it take for this case to be heard? That's probably a quick answer. And then is there, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, is there any hope at all here? Well, as far as the case goes, I think it's going to be a very long process. This is not something that will be over in six months or a year. It, you know, I'll probably be dead before it's, even <laughs> reaches court, okay. um, yeah. you know, um, these things take a long time. And the other really important thing is that they only get one shot at this, so they it has to be an absolute watertight case. So the prosecutor's office is not going to rush into this for just to get quick results. Um, they are going to take their time, I hope, to ensure that there is a very, very strong case goes to the court and that it has every chance of success. Um, we saw a case at the ICC that in, that did get thrown out for, um, you know, poor evidence and then that case had, did come back. But um, it is way too important to take that risk. They need to do it and they need to do it properly. And so it will be a long fight and and it will, I think, eventually result in um, a successful prosecution just because of the absolute enormous weight of evidence for all of these crimes. Yeah. Um, as far as hope for the future, where there's life, there's hope. <laughs> And yeah. as, if there's even one Palestinian left standing on the planet, there will be hope. You know, um, Palestinians have not given up for 75 years. They're not going to give up now. It doesn't matter what happens to them, if, you know, how many are killed. The people, even the people in Gaza who are suffering these terrible, terrible privations, at the moment, still endorse the resistance actions and still remain solidly behind them because they have nothing to lose. As everybody in Gaza says, you know, they've been under siege for nearly 20 years. They have nothing to lose. 75% unemployment for, for young graduate males. What have they got to lose? Nothing. There's no job. There's no future. This is their last stand, you know? Um, yeah. So, wow. yeah, the, <laughs> the hope is that Palestine will make these decisions. The US, the international community is all running around saying, oh, this is what we'll do when it's over. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, it is not for them to do. The principle of self-determination is that it is for Palestinians to decide who governs them, who runs their country. It is not for another puppet US government. Julie Webb-Pullman, New Zealander who lived in Gaza, working uh, at the Gaza Centre for Human Rights as an international expert on gathering evidence on the Israeli war crimes against Palestinians. Thank you for coming on our programme. 
and explaining things um, how you see it. We appreciate that. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I hope Palestinians will get the chance to listen to your show one day. Well, the replays go far and wide, so who knows? Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.